and welcome to How to Deal When the Shit Gets Real podcast. I'm Rietta. And I'm Connie. And today we are here with Ashley Stift. So Ashley, how do you deal when shit gets real? But in reality, just introduce yourself to our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Ashley. I am, you know what? I really have to think about it these days. I think I'm 37. I had a conversation with my husband the other day. The other morning I woke up and I was like, how old am I? How old am I? What year is it? What year is it? Is it 2021 or 2022? And he he was like, what did you take? (laughs) But so lately I really have to think about it. But anyway, now I'm 37. I'm a teacher, a mom of two boys. And the whole reason why we're here is I'm also a cancer survivor. So I have been, uh, I've been a teacher. I teach high school. Ooh, I actually taught, nice. I know I taught, I went to school to teach elementary school and I never thought I would ever teach high school. Um, I have an uncle who teaches high school. Actually, I ended up teaching at the same school with him. And he, um, when I was teaching the little ones, he would be like, I don't know how you teach the little kids with their snotty noses and whatever. And I was like, I don't know how you teach the big kids with their attitudes and little did I know we became co-workers shortly after that. And I taught with him (laughs) for a long time. And actually I taught at um, the school, the high school that my mom graduated from and Gwen Stefani. Small world. (laughs) Yeah. What happened was I was teaching elementary school. That was in 2005. And that's when start stuff started going downhill for elementary. Um, And I lost my job because I was, a brand new teacher, you know, for last hired, first fired type of thing. And I got desperate and I found out I could teach high school with my credential, um, high school reading specifically. And it just so happened that there was an opening for a high school reading position at the school that I had several connections with. So that helped me get the interview and then um, I got the job. But love teaching high school, taught reading. So these kids were like, ninth graders, but at like most a seventh grade reading level, usually they were more like a third or fourth grade reading level. And I did that for like 10 years and I kind of started wanting a change and then an opening for um, like out of the classroom position opened on my campus. And that's, I was, so I loved that job. It was, I was working with kids who were at risk of not graduating and um, I was having like big important meetings. I was leading teachers and I was like meeting with parents and doing all kinds. I don't know. I I just really loved that job. And that's what I was doing when I found out I was sick. So it was kind of like really sucked because I was really loving my job. And um, I just, what happened was, so um, it was in 2016 and January 1st, I was like, my, my second son was turning one in April. So he was like eight months old. And January 1st, I was like, I feel like my life is just a mess. You know, like, one kid was one thing. But then once I had the second, we were just like, a mess. So my, my New Year's resolution was, um, my New Year's resolution was, to get my shit together. (laughs) I was just going to work out regularly, start eating better, you know, just get back into our routines. And it was going so well. I was 
waking up early and working out. And then like, I'd come home from work and I'd take the boys for a run. I was just really exercising a lot. And, um, things were going fine, except for like, I couldn't breathe. And at first I was thinking, man, like I am really out of shape. But then I was thinking, I can't be that out of shape. Like I'm not, I I should be able to run like a quarter mile or like do 20 squats or something. I couldn't, I was so out of breath. And I also had like a super itchy rash on my legs where it's that started while I was pregnant. It got worse after I had miles and then where it would wake me up in the middle of the night, I was emailing my doctors, like thinking it was something hormonal or side effect from like an epidural, you know, yeah, I had no, definitely thinking it was related to the baby. And, um, I had, or I also thought, well, my running shoes are old. It's probably like athlete's foot or something. (laughs) So I was (laughs) switching out shoes and but the, so it was a rash and then the breathing thing was really like, really what started to be a concern where, like I said, I was like, I can't, I can't be that out of shape. I thought, I didn't know if this was even a thing, but I for sure thought I had adult onset asthma. I have developed asthma all of a sudden, like I would walk down to like my neighbor's house and be carrying miles and be totally out of breath by the time I saw her or um, by the time I got to their house or like one time I got home from work and um, my mom was watching the boys and she, she, and my older one had a fit. He did not want to go for a run with me. So I, she, my mom said, just go run by yourself. I'll watch them. And I was like, sweet, this should be really easy for me then not having to push like a hundred pounds of baby and stroller. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I was, and I was, and it, was still very hard. And, but I was by myself and I thought like my sports bra was too tight. It kept pulling on it. Another time I went to brunch with my, my two of my good friends because one was about to have a baby. Well, we had been there like a year prior when I was super pregnant and it was down. Rita, did you ever go to beachcomber? Yeah. 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 And Krista. So, you know, you like have to walk yeah. down and um, I had done that walk when I was super pregnant and it was not a problem. But when we were going here this time, I said, you guys, like, can, can we please take the shuttle? I know I'm not going to be able to make this walk. And so at that brunch, they were like, almost had like an intervention, you know, like something is really (laughs) wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. This is not normal. So, um, I, (laughs) the next day or so, it was like, I think it was a Monday. I um, still woke up and did my exercises and everything. And I went to work and um, called my doctor and made a doc- an appointment and ha- she could get me in that afternoon. So um, I told, I, w- I had like an after school duty that day, but I had to leave early. And one of my principals kind of gave me shit for it. Cause he was like, you know, we could really use you. And I was like, I have a doctor's appointment. Plus my ring, my wedding ring was getting fixed and it was near the doctor's office. So I was like, Oh, sweet. I'll just pick up my ring. Yeah. Do all the things at once. Yeah. So, well, I never returned to work after that. So I always wonder how he, how that principle felt. So I left my husband and I um, carpool to work because he's a teacher too. And at that point we were now we're at the same school, different sites, but the same school. But 
then we were at separate schools. So he came and got me. We went straight to the doctor's office. This doctor I've been seeing since I was like 20 years old. So she, she knows me, like my medical history, my personality, everything. I told her I was just having a hard time breathing. She took a pulse ox and listened to my lungs and everything. And she's saying, okay, something is wrong. Your lungs are not functioning properly. I have to send you to do a, a, an x-ray. Like we have to see what's going on here, a chest x-ray. So it was towards the end of the day, but she wanted me to go do it stat. So, and it was right in the same building. So I went and then, but I had to wait for a little while. And while I was waiting, she kept calling them like to check on me. So I knew, well, oh, left out a vital part. She told me, we have to see why it's there. Like you're on birth control. So it could be um, a blood clot. It's mm-hmm. probably an, an infection, um, but it could also be cancer. So she told me that from the, from the get-go. And then anyway, so I'm at the waiting for my chest x-ray and she kept calling, which I was like, it's like five o'clock. She should be home <laughs> or going home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I had a feeling something was up and then I do my x-ray and they told me, hold on, we have to call your doctor. And I heard him them talking to you, you know, usually like the texts don't tell you anything. You have to wait for the, the doctor to tell you stuff. So they came to me and they said, you have a moderate amount of fluid in your lungs. Your doctor's going to call you, but you have to go to the emergency room right now. So meanwhile, I keep calling my mom, like, cause she's watching my boys, like, mom, I'm going to go to the doctor after work. Oh mom. Now she's sending me for an x-ray. Oh, now I have to go to the emergency room, you know? And so as we're leaving the x-ray, my doctor calls and she says, um, before I even say hello, I heard her go, this is crazy. So then she told me, you have, a, you have fluid in your lungs. We have to get it out. But more, more importantly, we have to figure out how it got there. And she reminded me, remember, it's probably an infection, but it could be a blood clot or it could be cancer. But go to the ER, they're expecting you. And this is all like minutes from each other. So it took me just a few minutes to get to the emergency room. I walk in, they like greeted me like, you're the one? Cause it's called, it's called a thoracentesis when you get your lung strained. They were like, you're the one who needs the thora? Cause normally people who, who need their lungs drained are like, <gasps> you know, and um, yeah. I was just like, yeah, it's me. And I sat down and they did my vitals and everything. And then when they asked me, why are you here? And uh, that's when I got emotional for the first time. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Like I have kids and I don't know. And so I kept, and then, you know, they admitted me, called people to do a Thora. It was it was after hours and they said, I learned later that it's kind of odd to be called in for a Thora. Usually they let people, they just wait. They have you come in the next. The very first thing was, you know, they drained my lungs and they said, okay, the most that we can do for be so your lung doesn't collapse since this is your first Thora is um, a liter and a half. And that's what they, that's what they pulled out. So what they do is wow. they stick a needle. That's they a lot of fluid, is it not? It was so much. I mean, that's almost a two liter, liter. Yeah. bottle. Like, so yeah. like, let's have a party. You had like a whole thing of Pepsi in you almost. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I did. And that's Sorry, like, it came out like, it came out like so fast. 
and um, they had to stop it. There was more in there. And, oh, and wow. my nurse was saying, you know, she's like, Oh, look, it's clear. That means it's not an infection. That's good. And I was like, no, 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 that's, that's not good. Bad. I, an infection would be like the good thing. Better. Right. And yeah. So all this time I have a couple friends who are nurses and I'm like texting them. Like I just had to have a thoracentesis, like a bunch of fluid just came out of my mouth. What does this mean? And they were like, well, have you fallen? Have you had any trauma? Have you had anything? And meanwhile, one of the, one of the ones I was texting is one of my best friends since junior high. And she has since told me like, she knew, she knew right away, like it was cancer. And I feel so bad. Like imagining, you know, knowing your best friend has cancer. Yeah. Her feelings. Really tell her. Yeah. yeah. Does a Thora hurt so, when they stick it in so, your back? So they numb, so they numb you up and then they stick a needle and you're in between your ribs, like lower ribs and your back. And then, um, it goes, what it is. It's so like your lungs, you have like, it's the plural space between your lungs and your outer lung. That's what fills up. It's not your actual lung. Otherwise you'd be drowning. Right. So it fills up in the plural space and it makes your lung shrink Uh. because it's full of it takes fluid. up their space. Fluid. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. It, it kind of hurts, but, but they numb you. So it's not the numbing probably yeah. hurts more than anything. Like everything and it kind of gets to a weird pain once it's like almost empty. Cause I had a bunch of them after this, but you know, I was going, Oh my God, I can't wait to run tomorrow. And, and they were like, <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> lady, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> I thought like, oh, cool. You just got the, you got the fluid out of me. Now I'm good. We know why nope. I was breathless. <laughs> yeah. So they drained it. And then, and then I had to do like scans and everything. And meanwhile, and I'm also calling my mom like, okay, mom, now this happened. And now this happened. And then at one point I remember calling her so weird. I tell this story, like I've told it a million times, but whenever I tell it, like in a more formal setting, I it's much more emotional for some reason. But, um, so I remember calling my mom. I just, you know, I kept calling her. And then at one point I was like, I'm scared. Mom, I'm scared. You know, you're calling because I don't know. It's your mom, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. So, so she, she came to be with me. My husband was there the whole time too, of course they were running blood work and scans and everything and waiting for all those results. And then at one point, the, one of the nurses comes in and he's like very somber and gives me all this literature on lymphomas. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? (laughs) Like I said, can you send the doctor back? Because I'm getting like two different vibes here. (laughs) Yeah. Yours is much more somber. So then the ER doctor came back and I said what is going on and and he's like look your lungs your scan was a mess and he said you look a hell of a lot better than your chest does and um I'm admitting you and I said well and I said what is it and I said is it cancer and he said it could be and immediately I just went to when I was 32 at this when this is happening and when like one of the only people who I've known who had cancer was a 32 year old mom of two boys who were, uh, that I used to work for. I was a, I was, I was her like aid for her autistic son. 
And so I just, and she died. So I was like, well, fuck, this is, that's it. And then I was going, I should have been a hell of a lot bitchier in my life. Like this would have never <laughs> happened. This would have never happened if I was Shit. a bitch. <laughs> anyway, he said, yeah, I'm going to admit you. Um, it'll just, we'll be able to get tests done a lot faster. And, um, you know, we'll be able to get to the bottom of this. And I, I said, well, what floor are you admitting me to? And he said, the eighth floor. I was like, well, what floor is that? And he said, oncology. And I was like, Son okay. Of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's guess. my answer. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they kept like always like this hope. Oh, there's sometimes like there's these weird infections that this could be whatever. But I'm like, no. So I had, I got admitted and then the next, and they actually, before they admitted me, no, it was the next day. Um, they inserted a chest tube and like that drained so fast. I had a bunch of biopsies and surgeries. I was there for like a week while they're trying to like get my, get my fluids stopped and figure out what's going on. And at one point, and then like one of my nurses was that first night though, I remember like my husband was with me and I just bawled and bawled and he was laying next to me. It was like what you would see in a movie. Cause you know, I was like pounding his chest and, um, and, and I remember what, like in the middle of when I looked over and my nurse is right there, like rubbing my arm and, um, I just kept saying, can you just give me something like knock me out? I don't want to feel any of this. Just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't, I had no clue what type of cancer it was, what, you know, anything. I, I don't know. I was just totally blindsided because this whole time I'm thinking they're asking me, have you lost weight? Yeah. I had a baby recently. Like, are you tired? <laughs> Yeah, I had a baby recently. Again, you know, back to the baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, everything. And I don't know, that whole week was just kind of a blur. But my friends were so wonderful. Like, they all showed up and were just there. And I, I wish I would have taken a picture be, because uh, like sitting from my bed and all my best friends, except for the ones who are out of the country, <laughs> were just there. And it was all I needed, you know, was their presence. And, and then one time my, one of my nurses let me escape and go outside, um, and see my kids and my family, my parents had brought my, my kids. And, um, so I was discharged thinking like I had had several biopsies and during that time. And at one point they, they told my mom, um, we, it, we think it's Hodgkins and we're pretty sure it's Hodgkins. And my mom cried happy tears because we were like, that's a good, that's good. This is a good one. And, um, and so I left the hospital with a fair, fairly certain that it was Hodgkins, not, not staged or anything. But, um, once, once my fluids stopped filling up, um, then I was able to go home. And then that's when like more testing and more by like, Oh, we're not quite sure we have to do more. And like, you know, uh, okay. We think it's stage three. And then a couple of days later, Oh no, it's stage four. And I was like, 
stage four is the worst you can get. And, you know, still people are telling me, um, this is good. This is good. It's the good cancer. And I was like, but what cancer is is good? Yeah. Yeah. And also like best case scenario, I have to do six months of chemo. How is that good? Right. But I guess people try to find ways to comfort you, even if it's not really a comfort necessarily. Totally do. And it's better than nothing. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather say somebody say the wrong thing than not say anything at all, except for if you're a doctor that you should not be telling people. Yeah. Like (laughs) this is good. What causes the the fluid in the lungs? Did they ever tell you, is that just like a side effect of the cancer? Yeah. So it was that my chest had like, was just full of tumors. So it was blocking my lymphatic system. And so then it was draining into my lungs. Okay. That makes sense. So they said they, that I, they thought I, they think that I had had it since before I was pregnant, like in between my pregnancies. So probably the whole time I was pregnant with miles. That's intense. And then, yeah, I know. And so all those things where I was like, so, so itchy while I was pregnant was like, oh, that wasn't hormonal. That was cancer. I would but not, who would have thought itchiness would be a side effect of can Like that's not a side effect I would associate. So that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if it's a super common one, but just recently I read that it's most common in Hodgkin's. So that makes sense. Oh, hmm. okay. And I also recently read that the itchiness um, is associated with a worse response to chemo, which also would have been nice to know. <laughs> yeah, that would have been. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I kept having, I started chemo a little bit later. <laughs> the first time I did a PET scan, um, I had, I went, it was in between, like we had a few hours to kill. So Ian and I went and watched um, Deadpool. Have you watched Deadpool? Hello. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yes. Hilarious. <laughs> wrong, wrong. But yeah, I was going to say wrong oh, movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is. Because it was all about cancer. Like once, yeah. once you get sick, you realize like how many movies are really about people being sick. And then you turn to him and say, okay, worst case scenario, I become Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> have regenerative powers for everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what if I'm a bit scary? It's fine. Everything's exactly. fine. <laughs> Good thing it didn't come to that. <laughs> yeah. So I started doing my treatment. I was still getting my lungs drained every, every week I would have to go in. And then eventually after like my second or third chemo, I, I didn't have to get my lungs drained anymore. It was one day a week, every two weeks for six months. So it was 12 tr- treatments total. And I lost my hair and it just, at first it was okay. It felt like a really tired hangover. So I was used to that. <laughs> I could handle it. <laughs> they, made, they made good drugs, but, and then halfway through I had a scan and everything looked good. Um, looked like no, like completely gone. Cancer was completely gone. And then I finished my treatment. I cried cause I was done And then, um, that was in August and I had my first scan after that in right at the beginning of November. And 
you're not when you have a PET scan, you're not supposed to have sugar. You're supposed to have like high protein because because the the PET scan checks basically it measures like the, the metabolic rate of sugar, uh, how your body metabolizes this radioactive sugar. So mm-hmm. you have to make sure your blood levels are, they, they taste, they take your blood level before they give you a scan to make sure it's in the right range. But so I had had some like Halloween candy the night before <laughs> Oops. during this time, all during this time, I had made good friends with my PA um, in interventional radiology, which I had no clue what that department was, but that's the department that does thoracentesis. So this, my, my, my buddy, Brett, he was just so sweet. He really took care of me during the, during my, um, thoras. Sometimes I would have to bring the kids and he would like make, he's like my age, you know, he was young and mm-hmm. nice and, um, like Dewey Hauser. I remember the first time I saw him, I was like, what the, who is this guy <laughs> is <he> old <laughs> enough to be here? Um, and he would like blow up balloons, the, the, the gloves for my kids. And he was so sweet. Aww. And so when I was going in for my pet scan, he said, do you want me to call you with the results? And I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of like not having the best um, feeling about this. So I don't know. Do you really want to be the one who calls me? He was like, well, wouldn't you rather it come from me? I was like, yeah, that's true. Because I had been getting, I had been itchy again. I had been having night sweats, which is, I'm a very like sweaty sleeper anyway. So sometimes I blow that off, but I had getting been getting rashes again. And um, then I went, and one day I went to Disneyland with Natalie. Rihanna, remember Natalie? Mm -hmm. um, Oh yeah. (laughs) uh, We went to Disneyland and you know, you don't eat well at Disneyland. And so, and then the next day I weighed myself and I was like three pounds lighter overnight with the, with picking out the day before. So that's, those were just the things where I was like, you were like, "Uh uh-oh, something is feeling. Yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. I knew. So then anyway, Brett said, Oh, do you want me to call you? I said, okay, sure. So I had my scan. I did it early in the morning because he can't eat. So then, and my mom took me and, um, we went to breakfast in Laguna afterwards. And I remember as we were crossing PCH to go back to our, to go back to the car, Brett called me and he's like, can you sit down? And I was like, no, I'm in the middle of a fucking crosswalk right now. I can't just sit down. And, um, I mean, you just, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could, I'll sit down right in the middle of the crosswalk. Sorry. I mean, I could, but people would look at me and be like, what is she doing? They're going to get mad people. I'm going to block traffic on Pacific coast highway. Anyway, he's like, you have some spots in your, you know, that have lit up. And I was like, could this be from that Halloween candy? (laughs) And he was like, no, 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 this is the way the levels that they measured it with the brightness and everything. He was like, this is nothing but cancer. I was like, God damn it. Okay. So then I talked to my oncologist and he's like, you know, this, it probably, you're probably, it's, you're probably fine. It probably, this happens. Like the, you, it, it's very rare for Hodgkin's to relapse and super rare for it to relapse like this fast. So let's just scan again in a little bit and um, you're probably fine. And then I would talk to Brett and he would go, Mm-mm. 
you are not fine. Like this is, mm-hmm. you have got to push your doctor. So we did more testing, more biopsies. So many, I did this, the, the, they start off, like they try to do like an easy biopsy at first, you know, and then Hodgkin's is hard to diagnose because you have to get a very specific cell um, that is not always present. And so it took another, the first time took three biopsies, this time took three biopsies. And um, it was right, it was right before Christmas. And it was this really gnarly one where it was a robotic surgery. And they, like the robot arms go through my um, ribs and they deflated my lung it's all to get to the spot in my chest. And then I woke up with like a, yeah, I woke up with an IV in my, in my neck and Ian's like, what is that? And I was like, what is what? I don't know. I didn't even know what was there, but it was. You can't see it. Yeah. It's on your neck. You can't see it. I had no clue. I had like a, I had a chest tube again, but this time it was like as thick as a garden hose. It was so gross. I'm still tender. It's been years and I'm still tender in those spots between my ribs where, where that stuff was, oh but goodness. that's what ended up my, so they confirmed it like short, shortly before Christmas that it was, Oh, that's sucky back. but you know, what was funny is like, I kept calling the doc, the office, like, is there, are the results in, are the results in? And then one of the PAs who didn't really know me was the one to call me back and tell me, yeah. And I was just so it had taken a couple months again at this point to like na- narrow it down. And so I was just happy to no. have the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, I'm okay. It's okay that I have an answer, but I knew yeah. that that the treatment was going to be crappy for yeah, that. Cause you'd you know, done, you had you done it before. Yeah. Well, I knew that if you relapse, you don't just do the same treatment again. You have to now have a stem cell transplant. Yeah. And, and that was when you were in the hospital for like that month time. Right. And you couldn't see your yeah. boys and anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so then right at, in the new year, I started a whole, a new chemo regimen and the same, and that was like four days a week, all day long, take a break, go back a couple weeks later, you know, to get a stem cell transplant, you have to be, you, you have to do chemo first and get rid of the cancer and then you get admitted to the stem cell or you get admitted to the hospital for your transplant and you do more chemo well the, the problem is like the local hospitals don't just do stem cell transplants so right i had to go to ucla for it but then there was like this whole issue with my insurance and because my medical group didn't partner with the same hospital that my insurance whatever so it ended up taking a long time to get approved which was meant I had to do more chemo than I didn't have to do. Mm -hmm. So same thing happened is I went halfway through, I did a scan, it looked perfect. And then right after I had another scan and there was like a spot that lit up and they said, okay, well, like now instead of biopsying it or anything, let's just go assume that it is, it is cancer again. And, um, let's try a different chemo regimen. So then I did another one and that one, you know, it just, things just get, kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And then finally we were ready again, halfway through scan looked good. Um, I go to UCLA, I had to do all this. I had to stay up there for a little bit, harvest my stem cells. So I had a, 
on either one, it's called an autologous stem cell transplant where it comes from my own cells. So I didn't need a donor, which is good. <laughs> but I had to go up to LA and have you seen those commercials for like New Lasta or Neupogen? And it's usually New Lasta that you see. And it's, th- that is what stimulates if you are immunocompromised, which most chemo patients are, you have to take, you have to do shots, New Lasta or Neupogen shots and you have to give them yourself. And those give you side effects like flu-like side effects because it stimulates an immune response. It makes your body produce white blood cells. Gotcha. So I had to do that anyway during my treatment, but when you're getting ready for a stem cell transplant, you have to do like, I forget what it was, like double or triple the dose every day, giving your shots to really, really get your, your blood going. But while you're doing that, they don't want you to get sick or have any chance of missing your collection window because it's everything's like very precise. So I had to go up to the hospital. It was right before Easter. I did my collection. Um, They hook you up this machine. I had multiple like ports and everything in my chest, all these gross things just hanging out of me all the time. You saw it, Rietta. Yeah, I remember your um, one port. Yeah. So they hook you up and you can't not, you can't move. So if you have to pee, they would get, give you a bedpan. It's it's so I was terrified. I didn't eat or drink or anything because I did not want to have to use a bedpan and you're in a yeah. room with other people. It's not your private room either. So there's mm-hmm. no privacy. Um, luckily I didn't have to use the bathroom and it only took two to eight, two days of collection. We collected all the cells that we needed. And then it was supposed to be like, okay, do your scan the next day. That weekend is Easter. Go home, be with your family for Easter. And then on Monday, you're being admitted for your transplant. So on like Friday, I had my scan. I had a doctor's appointment, but my doctor didn't see me. I saw like a different doctor or whatever. And on my way home, I get a call from the hospital saying, you need, maybe that was a Thursday or whatever. And they said, you need to come back you need to see Dr. Aradot tomorrow. And I was like, no, uh, this is my last weekend before I'm going to be in the hospital. He, he didn't see me. So that's on you guys. And they were like, well, there's a problem with your scan. Again. So then I had to go through, then they were like, let's biopsy this time. So then I had to do several more biopsies and Jeez. they couldn't confirm it. They, they, they couldn't confirm it this time. And they said, since we can't confirm it, let's just move forward, assuming that it, that it's not um, cancer again. So, because to have a good response to a, to a transplant, you have, you're supposed to be like in cancer free, um, com- yeah, complete remission. Cause I remember you saying something along the lines of like, they have to almost like kill you before they do the, I remember you made some type of so reference that, like that. Yes, that is the that's the chemo that they give you when you, when you are in the hospital for the transplant. So, so then, um, eventually I am admitted to the hospital, brought so much stuff with me because I was afraid I was going to be bored. I was going to be there for a month and I had no clue. So yeah, they, I was admitted. They immediately hooked me up to the polls and, um, I didn't, realize when like that it was just going to happen so fast I don't know I felt like maybe like I check in have a night to myself 
let's start everything in the morning, but no, they started everything right away, which obviously makes sense when you think about it. And I didn't also didn't realize, but my, um, my, I was hooked up to that pole the entire time. That's the time. So then that's when it's another week of chemo and some of it's 24 hour overnight or whatever. And that's the stuff that basically it brings your blood counts down to zero. So when you're, when, when you get your blood count levels tested and they're like, here's your level of red blood cells, white blood cells, hemoglobin, whatever, you know, platelets, everything was zero because it's a blood cancer. So they have to kill everything. Oh my gosh. And that's where it is. Like they, they have to kill the cancer. You hope the the chemo kills the cancer before the chemo kills you. And it, it really, it, so it brings all your levels down to nothing. And then you wait a couple of days and then that's when they give you your cells back. And the whole reason why they give you your cells back. So it's, it's not your, the cancer, the chemo kills the cancer and then your cells bring you back to life. So you've been reborn basically. Yeah. So it's like something I've, it's been a while and some things I was really good at knowing at first. And now, you know, it just doesn't matter anymore, but it's like <laughs> red blood cells can't white blood cells can regenerate, but red blood cells can't. So that's why you have to mm-hmm. get your cells back to make more blood cells. Otherwise you just wouldn't have any, any, you would die. Yeah. And then the rest of the time in the hospital is just recovering from that and um, getting your cells back up and, but you get very, very sick. And it's so weird. Like I, there were all kinds of weird rules where I couldn't take a shower because of there's like a bacteria that could be in the steam. So they had to draw my bath for me and wait till the steam settled. And then I would, I had to take a bath. Meanwhile, I'm still hooked up to the pole. So I'm just sitting there like trying put with the waterproof stuff over me, trying not to get everything wet, certain parts wet. Yeah. And that's not easy. I couldn't use a toothbrush or toothpaste. I had to use like a sponge and it was like a baking soda water solution that I had to brush with. I couldn't have pepper or salt. So everything had to be prepackaged and cooked. Like you would think that they'd want you eating like fresh fruits and vegetables, but there's risk of there being listeria and different types of food poisonings. And you don't have any blood cells to fight those you can't have them so that's crazy yeah it's it was a trip that that uh transplant situation and that was when I had like the hardest time because I went in not thinking that it was going to (laughs) work because there's like a 50 percent Hodgkin's it's like a 90 percent response rate or something 95 or some something crazy where and then the other then the next chemo I did had like a 70% response rate and then it you know dropped down from there and I was thinking a transplant has a 50% response rate so I would say if I couldn't do like 90 why can I do 50 right and so Mm. at that point I was really thinking this is this is not the end this is like I'm gonna still be fighting this disease for a long time so in the hospital, when I got sick, like really sick is when I was like, I can't do this. If this is going to mm-hmm. be my life, I can't, I just can't, 
I couldn't imagine like being sick like that for the remainder of my life. It was weird. Like my whole esophagus, um, I had what's called esophagitis. So my, it was basically just all torn apart and ulcers all down my, so I couldn't even swallow my spit. I literally just like laid in my hospital bed and did not move because it hurt to move because my, the esophagitis was so bad. Oh my God. Weird things that you don't ever think would happen, you know? Yeah. Did your boys know everything that were going on or did you give them the softer version of it or were you totally transparent? We use the word cancer. We, but I always wanted to be, I never wanted them to be afraid of the doctors. I just, I didn't want them to think that doctors were scary. So I always, that's where we would like put a positive spin on things. Like I'm, I was going to have a slumber party at the hospital and the doctors are helping me feel better. And, you know, like it was, I, I they were also really young too. So they can only, you know, how much when I was, will they actually understand? So that was what I was thankful for because when I was first diagnosed, it was in February and in April, they were turning one and three. So they had no clue that this wasn't normal. They had no clue that this didn't happen to everyone's mom. They weren't old enough to like go to school and their friends tell them, oh, your mom has cancer. She's going to die. You know, they just didn't know. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, I was very thankful for that. It was, it was hard though, because like balancing the parenting, my husband did everything. And then my, my mom and his mom helped him a lot too. But I remember having a conversation with my mom one time where I was like, mom, you have to stop spoiling them because you're making it hard on me. Once I get, when I like am feeling well enough or when I can like parent and intervene Mm -hmm. and I'm telling them, no, I'm the bad guy. And I, I remember her like, oh, like she never even thought of that. They're just, they were really trying to just make like the boys' lives as good as it could be. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Plus their grandma, you uh, know, that's grandma's job. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was just glad that they were little. They had no, they didn't know. But you know, it was also hard because I was trying to look out for like emotional support for little ones whose parents are sick. And um, especially since I was going to be gone for a long time. And yeah, you know, when I was, when I was, um, when I was in the hospital, I didn't, there were, I I tried to FaceTime them, but there were some days where I just, they didn't realize though, that it was weird. But now Blake is very, a very anxious child. And I've, I asked him just recently, actually, it was like the day before my birthday. So Mm -hmm. a few months ago, he was having a, a breakdown and he worries about everything. And then I asked him, do you think maybe like mommy being sick, it makes you worry about things more. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, yeah. And then I said, do you ever worry about me still? You know, cause now he's almost eight, four years of his life. I was going through treatment, you know, three years of his life. I was going through treatment. He, and I said, do you still, do you still worry about me? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, what do you worry about? And he said that you're going to get sick again and die. 
And I was like, oh, oh sweet no, boy. You're not supposed to know these things. I didn't yeah. even know he knew. And then I yeah. said, well, maybe maybe he because he's a, a very big worry wart. So maybe, mm-hmm. you know, he just worries about everyone. So I said, well, do you worry about daddy too? You worry about that with daddy? And he goes, no, but now I do. Oh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh sweet but, boy. Yeah, so I don't I I don't know like how it has affected them. He talks about it like he remembers, but Miles doesn't really remember. They see pictures of me with like no hair and they laugh or yeah. But they probably like remember what other people told them is what them. they remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Blake because he was 3 and then cuz after I got out of my transplant, then I had to do radiation. Then I had to still do a whole year of maintenance chemo after that. Wow. Um, so it was a lot. It, and that maintenance it was. Chemo sucked because it was, that was when it was the hardest for me because it was supposed to be easy and it was not easy. And that's when like I had, I started getting bad neuropathy and trying to do bar and I couldn't even like go on my tiptoes, not because like I was weak, but also because because my brain like was not talking to my feet. It, oh my I gosh. couldn't run. I couldn't, I couldn't like it just the coordination, the muscle brain connection was gone. It was walking was a chore. I'd always be, be the one pushing the stroller. So I had something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like my heart rate would also go super high. I was falling. <laughs> I was, that was awful. So yeah, that had so to be super was, weird to like, just to not have your body like, feel normal. You're supposed to know the, these things, brain. Yeah. You're supposed to know that I have feet and that my feet can go on my tippy toes. <laughs> yes. And it was, it was like, I felt like I had had like an injury and was learning how to, how to walk again. At that yeah. point I was back at work. I was, if someone would say like, Hey, you want to walk, walk with me to the office? And I go, Oh shoot. Like the pavement's uneven and they're going to walk fast. And, what if I fall in front of the kids or what? It, and yeah, it was awful. So you were running through all the yeah. scenarios. I have to say but, though, when you were at the beginning or I, yeah, I guess it was more so at the beginning, you were still taking bar. You absolutely amazed me. Like, I don't know if that was something that I could have done. Like, I don't know. How did you find the strength and the motivation to keep taking bar? Was that just something that made you feel normal? Yeah, that's what it was. It was like, I had done bar and then I, took a little break or something. And then I got found out I was sick. And then Natalie said, you, would you want to go back to bar? And I was like, you know what? Yeah. I feel like that's a good exercise for me to be able to do while I'm sick. So yeah, I did it like through it all and except for my transplant, but even when I was, when I was, before I got super sick um, in the hospital for my transplant, I would like be doing little bar exercises um on the railing in the hall in the hallway because I couldn't leave (laughs) I I just like do my laps and then I'd like do some little pulses and try to get some exercise and then when I got discharged I remember as soon as I could I came back because it was it was like a sense of control I remember thinking like I can't control I could not trust my body and I couldn't control anything that was going on in my body, but for this hour a day, I could control, could control this. And Mm -hmm. so it was like, 
in a way my fuck you to, to Hodgkins. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can do this. So that was, that was definitely, and that was something that, I mean, you guys were all so supportive that also, you know, got me through a lot was because I knew I could go there and people would be there to like, listen to me or to talk to me or to just push me. And that's something like, I, I always loved about you, Brietta, was that like, you didn't necessarily baby me you knew she doesn't baby no one push me (laughs) (laughs) she babies zero (laughs) it was like okay tell me how you're feeling how are things going right now you knew like I don't want to be super babied but also if I can't do something like can't do it that's frustrating to me and Yeah. yeah going to going to bar was a way to just be in control and have support and have my mind off of things for a while I would a lot of times go to bar in the morning before I went over to get my infusions because I knew that like after I would start feeling wouldn't be yeah yeah Yeah. but also moving when I would move more I would feel better so Mm -hmm. that was something like if just laying there yeah wasn't helping yeah so moving helped being str- you want to be strong when you go into th- you want your body in the yeah you know, in the as best shape strong as it can be yeah so and she was kick as a bar I'm telling you even even during the chemo there were girls that were stopping and Ashley was just cruising along still doing her pulses <laughs> <laughs> pulling my hair out the second time it fell out um, yeah I remember, I remember when you were doing that and Meredith was like Ashley stop picking the hair up off the floor. I can do it for you. Like just take class. Yeah. Walking over to the trash can to put my clumps of hair. Oh my gosh. Then go back. Yeah. We were like, we were that like, wasn't do that. That was a, that was a really hard day though. That day specifically, because when I had relapsed and it was a couple weeks after my, I had started treatment again and just the hair falling out was like, oh shit, this is real. And mm-hmm. I remember, um, like just, I remember sitting in the little room where we would put our socks on and stuff. And after the, after class and just crying, like, mm-hmm. I can't believe this is happening again because you could pretend all you want, like things are normal, but when your hair falls out, you can't pretend anymore. And it's yeah. not a secret. Like it's not a secret to anybody, mm-hmm. which well, is also annoying. And as females, you know, we are, we attached to our hair. Yeah. It's one of the things that makes you feel pretty and feminine. So when it's falling out, I mean, it's gotta be hard. What bothered me the first time my hair fell out, the first time I was sick, I I wore hats the whole time. I had like a one really shitty wig that I maybe wore once, but I didn't invest in any wigs because, you know, this was only temporary. That was the next question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So my friends were so sweet. My mom, they arranged, I had an appointment um, to, at a wig shop to try on wigs. This is the first time that my hair was falling out. I dyed it pink. I was very excited that I had pink hair, but I was going with my my mom and my best friends to pick out some wigs and they all showed up with like ridiculous wigs on and we had champagne and we like, you know, we were trying on all these different wigs. And, um, at one point the lady 
left and my friends were saying, well, what wig do you like best? And I was like, none of them. I don't want like none of them. I don't want to be doing this right now as is. Yeah. And, and I didn't add that, you know, I, I just didn't, I wore my hats and it, it was what it was. And then the second time my hair fell out, it was like going to be for a longer period of time. And it fell out fast. It was like that morning when I went to bar, it was started falling out. And by the end of the day, I had to shave it because it was just clumps and it was, ouch. it was, you know what it doesn't. And it was weird. It hurts. It feels like when your hair is like tight in a too tight pony. And then you take mm-hmm. it out and you know, that feeling, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's how, that's how your hair feels when it's falling out. So never want to put my hair a in a tight pony again. <laughs> it's almost a relief when it actually comes out. Um, because it doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't itch. It's not making a mess. That's amazing. Um, I wouldn't have thought like your hair falling out would be, would be painful. Like that's not yeah a thought I ever had. That's crazy. Yeah. It it was so, but what, what, what it was too, was like, I remember being at Costco and like a man was like, I had the boys with me, but I remember getting the saddest look from, um, a, an older man. And I was like, I, I just hated that people could look at me and know something was wrong. There was nothing, there was no hiding it. Yeah. You know, I'm not much yeah. of a, secretive person but I just didn't I hated that I would walk into somewhere and somebody knew and, something yeah. just by looking at me yeah and you know yeah. something was and wrong. It, so then did you and it made him sad be, yes yeah. so the second time around you did get some wigs or no yeah then I got then I got some wigs and Do I keep love, them and still play around with them like <laughs> I wore one this Halloween <laughs> but um <laughs> I don't, there, it's much easier to wear a wig when you have no hair. Than yeah, it is yeah, that's true. Very true. So Did you, I do. Didn't you wear one to bar class once? And then you ended up like taking, I think you came from work or something and you ended up taking off because you're like, I am dying. Um, I think one time I, what happened was I forgot to um, put a hat in my car to change. Oh. And yeah, I was yeah, I was like, uh, I'll give this a go. And then I was like, no, this is not happening. Yeah, I thought I remember that <laughs> happening. Like, I was like, I remember you having a wig at some point and like trying to do bar in it. And then you were like, fuck this. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. There. Well, so, I can't yeah, imagine I... that it breathes. You know, it's not like your hair, no. you know, where you can sweat through your hair. Like, it's you probably doesn't breathe. So I don't blame you. I would have taken it off too. Yeah, it's hot. Mm-hmm. but I did it was nice like it was good to have wigs because then I just was able to do my makeup put a wig on and pretend like life was normal you know, and then you get the weird looks playing, little, mm-hmm. playing a little trick on the world <laughs> so what would you say is your greatest accomplishment I was just talking about this with my uh, mom and my husband the other day but I, when I was in my, um, maintenance chemo and I had gone back to work, I went back to school too, to get my admin credential. Oh, wow. And so I was still doing treatment and working, working and yeah. being a mom and all that stuff. Something that 
people don't talk about with chemo, everyone knows you lose your hair. Everyone knows you get sick and whatever, but um, it also has like cognitive side effects. So Mm -hmm. it's like baby brain times a million. So fogginess, short-term memory loss, like focus. So when I went back to school, because the the question we were, we were just in the mountains with my family and over spring break, and we were doing like a conversation card game. And mm-hmm. one of the cards was like, what is something you're proud of, of somebody you love? And my husband was like, I don't really know. And I was like, what about me getting my admin credential? And he's like, that was easy for you. Why would I be proud of you? That was easy. And I was like, it was not easy. It was so hard for me to, because mm-hmm. I was used to school being easy. I was used to things being easy and it was so hard to focus my, mm-hmm. to remember things, to be reading, to read and comprehend. And so, I mean, that's something that I'm proud of. I don't feel like saying Uh, like beating cancer was an accomplishment because I don't really feel like there was much choice in that. Yeah. You had to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't. And like, you know, like how did you find the strength? I, there was no option. You just had to do it. You know, they Mm -hmm. told me what to do and I did it. So it was, it was hard, like losing my identity. Cause I remember at one point I felt like well, I'm not a teacher anymore. I'm hardly a mom. Mm-hmm. Like all I am is a, is a cancer patient, mm-hmm. you know? Um, that had to be hard. That had to be hard, but that was my only job. That was, so I, that's what I had to do was, yeah. was um, you know, do, do what they told me to do. <laughs> so what would you give as an advice or even just tell somebody who just found out that they have cancer? Um, okay, so there's several things. Like I would, one thing my, I have, I made some really dear friends who also had transplants or at this, around the same time that I did. And one of the things that one of the girls always says is, or her boyfriend always told her was don't borrow troubles. So it's really easy to like get in your head and freak yourself out. But um, number one is don't borrow troubles. So don't freak out in this until you have the actual information to freak out about. It, of course, you're going to want to Google. If you Google stay oh, yeah. to stay on the like American Cancer Society website, you know, the reputable websites find. I would also say stay away from groups like the support groups because they are helpful. And I met some really great people who helped me a lot to get through them, but also I had to stop following a lot of the, the groups and the people because you don't need the constant reminders, you know, like Mm, mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be your whole life. And the other thing, like find a doctor you trust and that you're able to like, you're comfortable. I don't want to say I will never be smarter than my doctors. And you have to realize that, but also like you have to be comfortable with expressing yourself and asking questions and pushing when you don't, when you like when I relapsed um, and my doctor was like, you're probably okay. You know? And I, I had to push. Yeah. So I didn't want to, I was, I still to this day, I'm his only Hodgkin's patient who's ever relapsed. So it's just, I don't blame him for thinking that it, it was nothing, you know? Yeah. But you had that gut feeling that you had to push him. 
Yeah. But, uh, but I, I do think it's important to, tr- to trust your doctors, <laughs> to know that your doctors have gone to school for a very long time. They've practiced this for a very long time and um, it's okay to question and to ask, but you, you got it. WebMD doesn't make you a doctor. Exactly. That's what, that's why we have doctors. That's what they're there for. So do you look at life differently since having cancer? Um, I would love to be like enlightened and like, (laughs) but there's a couple of things. One, my, the positive side of it, um, you know, the saying they're making mountains out of molehills. I tell people the reverse. You just got to make molehills out of mountains, you know, just, yeah, things aren't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. So I guess there's like a perspective, you know, that I've gained, like I never went back to my job. The school didn't burn down. They were fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get like very dramatic emails from students who were <laughs> missing me, which was very sweet in the grand scheme of things. Like if you don't get that thing done, are you going to die? Then it's okay. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. So, yeah. So perspective, I have gained some perspective, but on the other hand, I have, I, I used to be a very like glass half full, rose colored glasses, Pollyanna. And, mm-hmm. um, I find I'm, I'm a lot more jaded than I ever thought I would be. <laughs> and so there's like, it brought a dark side that I'm not really happy to, to have. And, but on um, the other hand, like, cause I'll, I'll look at people and like, why didn't, why haven't, hasn't their life fallen apart? Because really upset, what was really hard for me for a long time is that I was certain I was going to have a third baby and, um, I can't like the, the chemo, my transplant chemo put me in a menopause. I'm sterile, cannot have babies. So when wow. that, I didn't know that. that. Yeah. So that was very, very hard when it's not your decision. Yeah. So for a long time, even now, it still is like, I would avoid baby showers. People would tell me they were pregnant and I'd be like, of course they are. Why wouldn't they, you know? It's hard not to be jaded. I mean, you went through something so difficult and then not only that, then you lost your ability to have something that you wanted and you didn't even, Mm -hmm. like you said, you didn't get a say about it. So, I mean, yeah, it's a fair feeling. Yeah. But I don't really like being that negative person, you know? So, yeah. uh, And I don't, I don't like looking at people and like, I don't know. I have such a hard, uh, a hard time, like looking at someone going, why isn't their life falling apart either? Or why hasn't anything bad happened to them? And I, the other thing is you don't know that. You don't know what they've been through. Just thinking that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's part of it too, is I've learned uh, again with like making molehills out of mountains is okay so someone cuts you off or someone's being an asshole like who knows they maybe they just found out their spouse has cancer maybe they just found out they have cancer maybe someone just died. you know you yeah you don't know more, giving mm-hmm. people more grace yeah and yourself yeah. yeah so fun question if you could have one superpower what would it be and why <laughs> I think I want teleportation, but I want to be able to teleport. I want to be able almost like, you know, in Harry Potter, like, yeah, what is it? What is it like the, what are they called? Like the shoes or whatever they can grab. Oh yeah. Mm, The port keys. uh, Yes. The port keys. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) 
I want, I want to be able to teleport, but I want anyone who I'm touching to be able to teleport with me. Have so, you seen the movie Jumper? No. Because they do that in the movie. Okay, I want that. I want to be him. <laughs> yeah, he, he can look at he can look at an image and be there, and he can bring other people with him. Yeah. Okay, that's me. That's what I want. I'll be I'll be right there, Rietta. <laughs> Come on, I got a spare room. Just note that we've got lots of crazy animals. So. <laughs> and then this is how to do when when shit gets real. I mean, that's really what we've been talking about, right? <laughs> so thank you for sharing your story, and everybody, come check us out on all of the platform send us emails if you want to interview with us thank you ashley for being our guest thank you